Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11 for scripture reading this morning. Hebrews chapter 11. We will be reading the first seven verses. Chapter 11, verse 1 says, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that, we, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his gift. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for this opportunity to come and worship you. Lord, to praise your name with our brothers and sisters in Christ. An opportunity to look into your word and hear from you today, Lord. Lord, we ask that you would uh, go with us in this journey as we, we look at these heroes of faith, these champions of yours, these servants of yours. Lord, who are examples to us and how we can live out our own faith. And so, Lord, I ask that you would uh, help us focus on who you are today. Focus, help us to focus on your word. Lord, there's a lot going on. There's a lot we did this last week, and it was uh, a blessing to be able to experience it all. And, Lord, we ask that you would now help us to focus on you for the next blessing that you will bestow on us. Lord, we thank you so much for this morning. We ask you go with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes there are announcements that you don't mind giving. Others you do wish you didn't have to give. But yet in that, there is a need. I received an email from a good pastor friend of mine, Steve Blair. He passes a church in Millersburg. And he's asking all the area churches, all the biblical area churches. Let me read this for you. There's a prayer gathering at Camp Muskelrats. Now, that's in evil. I have no idea what that is, but I'll find out. And it's going to be on Thursday, this Thursday, July the 6th, beginning at 6 p.m. The reason for it is this. We'll be praying for God to intervene in the upcoming Pride in the Valley Day which is slated for August the 12th. There are children's games and activities planned with a hope to instill the beginning of a large LGBTQ gathering in our area. I shared with the men this morning that too often we think we live in a monastery in this area. We're pretty secluded. We're pretty, the, probably the rashest thing we hear are either jake breaks of trucks or the clip-clop of horses pulling buggies. But I've realized that the tentacles of sin don't normally stay close to the octopus that they protrude from. And so the call is for this Thursday at the 6th of July to gather at this camp at 6 o'clock to ask the Lord to intervene 
If you can join us, I plan on being there. If you can join us, I, I sense that this is a very, very important opportunity. Because if we don't stand and say something, it won't be long before we can't say anything. So please, mark that down in your minds. If you don't know where uh, Camp Muckaluck Rats is, I don't even know how to pronounce that thing. Whatever happened to Camp Joy or, or Camp Peace? <laughs> Muckle Rats, what? What are, you, what are you going to be looking there? I, I don't know, but anyway, it's in Eville. I was told that it's just past the uh, quarry. There's a left-hand turn. You just go down that road and hope and pray that God leads you to this camp, I guess. <laughs> I, I don't know. But uh, that's 6 o'clock this coming Thursday. Please join us if you can. I think this is very, very important. Well, I, I again invite you to our journey through the book of Hebrews. We're in chapter 11 once more. Uh, you might remember from last week that we began our study in Hebrews 11 and we first highlighted the theme of what faith is, particularly focusing in on what biblical faith is. And what is understandingly the main theme of this chapter, that now establishes the background for a trip through a gallery, if you will, of life portraits that are on display for those who are recipients of not only this letter, but as well for us today. These portraits, if you will, tell us of individuals who one day, I trust, we will meet. But for now, we can only read of them. But their portraits speak of a faith that even in the midst of dark trials and dark times of society, they stood strong. These individuals that are highlighted in Hebrews 11, they're these heroes of faith, these who faced life trials and hardships and had one common theme emanating from their life. They purposed to please God. They purposed to believe in God. And they purposed that they would be rewarded by God. The author of the book of Hebrews points us to a lineup of what we'll call the procession of faith. But at the same time, illustrated very practically in the lives of individuals. So if you're here in Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to begin our biblical journey through this wonderful gallery with an individual by the name of Abel. Abel. Now, I, I trust that all of a sudden you're asking yourself, well, who is Abel? Which one is he talking about? Well, for that, I'm going to invite you to go back. Keep your theme, a piece of paper or something here, because we'll be back. But go back to Hebrew or Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. <clears throat> we are told that in the very first verse that Adam and Eve, they got together and they had two sons. Cain was the first one born, followed by Abel. And then information is given to us of their occupations. In verse 2, it says that Abel was a shepherd, a keeper of flocks, while Cain was a farmer. He produced from the land crops. Well, it came time, as it says, that they brought an offering to God. Now, here's where you've got to ask yourself the question. Why would they do that? Where did they get that instruction? We're not told any place in Scripture that Adam and Eve even engaged themselves in such a thing. So you have to begin to wonder, what is this offering all about? In fact, later on in this introduction, we will be sure to inform you that there 
are a plethora of reasons, some of which I can see from the scriptures, but others I'm not so clear that that's exactly what the passage is talking about. But in any case, let me read for you, if you will, verses 2 to 7. It says, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. And in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel brought fat portions. Now keep that in mind. Fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. And then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Now pay attention to this phrase. If you do what is right, did you catch that? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do what is what if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. So what are we talking about? Well, keep that in mind, but now go back to Hebrews 4. Hebrews chapter 4. And in verses 4, we see that the author of Hebrews gives to us three things concerning this one named Abel and his sacrifice. Number one, Abel offered, a, by faith, a better sacrifice than his brother. That's the first thing. The second thing is that, by faith, Abel was commended as a righteous man, and this righteousness was somehow related to this better sacrifice that he offered. And the last thing, just in verse 4, that he still speaks by faith, even though he's dead. It's amazing that the very fact that we are here in these centuries later considering this individual is a recognition from the fact that he still speaks, even from his death. Now, one of the things that emerges from the study of this verse is it, sometimes we run off into the mist of speculation, wondering with theories concerning why did God accept Abel's and he did not accept Cain's? Why? I, I'm, I'm not saying that's a waste of time to try to investigate that reason. But we don't have time here this morning. Maybe there'll come a time when I'll do a study through the book of Genesis and we'll discuss those particular theories. But for now, let's stick to the text of Hebrews chapter 4. What is the author of Hebrews chapter 4 trying to convey to these ones from chapter 4 I'm sorry, from chapter, almost chapter 2, all the way to the end of chapter 10, he's convincing them, trying to convince them that Jesus Christ is still worth following. And so he focuses not on the theories of why, but on the facts that are before us. And so as we look at this, we can come up with at least three facts that the author of Hebrews wants to drive home to our hearts. Number one, the sacrifice that is acceptable to God is acceptable not on the account of its material content, but is acceptable insofar 
as it is an outward expression of a devoted and obedient heart. The sacrifice that is acceptable to God is acceptable not on the account of its material content, but is acceptable insofar as it is the outward expression of a devoted and obedient heart. Now that phrase in Genesis chapter 4, to Cain that God gave, why are you so angry? If you would do what is right, won't you be accepted? Number two. When it comes to offering sacrifices to God, God is not concerned first about material content, but he is concerned that what is done externally will be the expression of a devoted and obedient heart. When you have time, go back to the last book of the Old Testament known as Malachi, and there in chapter 1, you will see the exact same situation. Where individuals, as God is telling them, you've robbed me. Well, how have we robbed you? You've counted my table as a curse. Well, how have we done that? And he goes on to talk about their sacrifices don't come with the proper motivation. And so what was begun in Genesis chapter 4, we can see is carried through all the way to the end of the Old Testament Malachi. And now the author of Hebrews is warning us that the only sacrifice that God accounts for is it doesn't come from an obedient heart. Obedient heart. Let me ask you a thought-provoking question, if I may. Why are you here this morning? I hope you haven't come to hear this eloquent speaker, because that's not happening. But why are you here? Have you come just because it's traditional? Or are you here to offer a sacrifice of praise because it flows from a devoted and obedient heart? There was an old preacher one day who said, do not come to church expecting you will receive anything from God if you have not taken the time to meet him Monday through Saturday. He said, how many of you would go to the grocery store without a list and then come out of the store angry that you didn't get everything that you didn't write down on a list? How do you expect to get anything from God if you've not come expecting anything from God? Ow. Ow. Oh, the writer of Hebrews. Yes, he wrote this letter to the first century Hebrew Christians. And yet it's very evident for us today, isn't it? Here it is. That this offering that Abel gave, it wasn't because, and it wasn't a whole lamb, by the way, it was only fat portions of the firstborn. He is saying that Abel came with the right heart, while Cain did not. So what's does that mean for us today? Well, when you go to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17, we read the verse that says, 
Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now we need to ask ourselves a question. The question is this. Are Christians the only ones that are capable of doing good works? No. I've known many pagans who do good deeds. In fact, history tells us in many ways that pagans did better deeds for society than what Christians did. Why is that? Did their good deeds find any favor with God? Now be careful. No. God does not accept. He is not the one to accept deeds performed by those individuals who do not have a heart for him. And thus the story of Abel. And that's why the writer of Hebrews is telling these first century Hebrew Christians, Jesus is worth following if you will keep your heart tender, dependent, and obedient to him. Well, that brings us to the second one. The second one is Enoch. Now, all of you are used to saying Enoch. There's no K here. If you were a good Hebrew Christian, you would go, Enoch. Practice that with me, Enoch. Yeah, almost like you're trying to get some phlegm out of your throat. His name is not Enoch, it's Enoch. Well, we have this individual, and it takes us back to just two verses, three verses, in Genesis chapter 5. Let us go back there. Keep Hebrews 11. But let us go back to Genesis chapter 5. Begin at verse 21. In verse 20 it tells us who Enoch's daddy is. His name is Jared. But in verse 21 it says when Enoch had lived 65 years... He fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he, gath- after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. We don't have any other information concerning the portrait of this one whose name we at times cannot pronounce. But what we are told is to our advantage to pay attention to. Let me give you some facts again about this one named Enoch. It says that he walked with God over a long period of time, 300 years. In other words, for Enoch, faith was not, if you will, a flash in the pan. It wasn't something that rose and fell over whether God is good or not. It was no burst of enthusiasm followed by periods of quietness, or as one author put it, chronic inertia. It was, it was not a little stimulus every so often whereby he got excited about God, things about God things, and then drifted away from that and continued along the journey of life regarding it as just something irrelevant. No. Enoch's faith is an illustration of the fact that faith brings us into a relationship with God and it is vital and relevant in every circumstance of our life. For Enoch, 
Faith was both a decisive act and a sustainable attitude. It's clear for us, at least, I see, in the text of Genesis chapter 5, we read it together, we saw it, that there was a time in Eli's life when his faith began. It says that when he was 65, he gave birth, or at least fathered, this one Methuselah, who, if you check the scriptures, was the one who has lived the longest. He holds a record that no one is going to break. But then it says, after Methuselah was born, then Enoch walked with God for 300 years. Did you catch it? In other words, there was a time in Enoch's life that he did not walk with God. He lived 365 years, yes. But it says in Genesis chapter 5 that only 300 of those did he walk with God. So there was a period of time in this one named Enoch. I think I'm dusting the counter up here. That's why I don't know. Whereby he did not walk with God. I think there's some significance here for us to stop and ponder just for a few moments. And it's this. That there it comes a time in our lives whereby we become face to face with a decision. It's almost like volume one and volume two of our lives. In volume one, Enoch gave fathered a son. But in volume two, Enoch walked with God for 300 years. Many of you, whether you wish to, I'm glad no one has been named Enoch here in a congregation, and I trust you'll never name a dog Enoch, because by the end of the day, you're gonna have a very sore throat. But all of us here have something in common with him. We have volume one of our lives whereby God is irrelevant to us. We have no desire, we have no need, at least perceived that way, to even trust him by faith. We are, like Paul in Romans chapter 3, that we are sinners. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3 and verse 23. And yet then there comes that time when maybe you were at a a church meeting or maybe you were at another tent meeting or in a big evangelistic event where you felt the tug of God upon your heart. And you knew that you needed to trust in him. You were at that place where you finally figured it out that I can't do anything to bring the acceptance of God in my life based upon what I do. I need to fall on what Jesus Christ has done for me by grace through faith and believing that what Jesus Christ did upon the cross of Calvary paid my debt of a sin that I could not pay. And when you made that decision, you may have very well gotten what's called the decision card. Do you remember them? And on the decision card, you would, you would write the date and where you were and what happened. Or maybe you, in your very first Bible that you have, it's written in the front there that on such and such a date, 
I decided that I would trust Jesus Christ as my only hope of eternal life. And you mark that in there. And that Bible has not been thrown out because it carries that very important information. It's put on the shelf in safekeeping, and now you come and you got the latest Bible. But it's missing something. It doesn't have recorded in it what the first Bible has. That's volume two. May I ask you a question this morning? They don't get any easier, by the way. Where are you in the volumes of your life? Are you only in volume one? That area whereby, ah, I come to church, I, I know a lot about God. In fact, I can even say some of the great spiritual language, justification, sanctification, glorification, propitiation. I can even say enough. And we think we're okay. Because life is going on and all of a sudden, Enoch was confronted with something that all of us at time must face. A crucial decision in his life. And isn't it amazing that sometimes the birth of children will stop you to consider what am I really doing in my life? When I was married at the age of 19, was there anybody else in the congregation that got married at the age of 19? Wonderful. I'm not alone. Thank God. But in New York State, you had to have your parents sign for you because you, I wasn't old enough to get married. My wife married a younger man. But she's turned out a whole lot better over the years than I have. But yet that first year of marriage was like, I'm out of the house. I can do what I want to do. Nothing's holding me. I bought a motorcycle. I had a snowmobile that would go across the snow faster than one even Santa Claus can go. I was living high on the hog until about nine months before August the 15th. My wife said to me, we're going to have a child. Well, that's great. I'm still riding. I'm still going. But the day we ran to the hospital, and all of a sudden, our firstborn daughter, who's sitting right over here, was born. And as the nurses and doctors were tending to my wife, the delivery room nurse wheels her out in a bassinet that's on wheels and just pushes it toward me. Say, here you go, Dad. What do I do now? What do I do now? I don't know if that's what, Methu what Enoch went through when Methuselah was born when he's 65. But you got to wonder, at that moment, maybe he began to question what life is really about. And it caught his attention. We're not given anything of a decision card, nor are we even told that in the first Bible that Enoch ever had, he put that in there. But we're told in the scriptures that after Methuselah was born, Enoch walked with God for 300 years. And we dare not forget Jude chapter 1, 
verses 14 and 15 that tell us that Enoch was a prophet. He saw the coming judgment of God upon the nation of of the world. And he began to proclaim that judgment for 300 years. He faced ridicule. He faced disownment. And it was all before the time of when the great flood was coming. Enoch. And it's because of his faith that he even speaks to us this day from the scriptures as Abel did. That yes, God is worth following. He is worth walking with. He is worth everything that he says he is. And he's living proof for 300 years. And because of that, I don't know why, other than the design of God, that God took him from this earth into the very presence of himself, bypassing death. There's only one other that was like that, and his name is Elijah. But Enoch says he was, and then he wasn't. What does that remind you of? I really hope you're thinking of 1 Corinthians 15, 50 to 58, and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 13 to 18. For it says, there's going to be a trumpet and there's going to be a shout and the dead in Christ are going to rise first, but it precedes that by saying, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Why? Because judgment's coming. Judgment is coming. Well, We dare not linger too long on this, seeing that time is fleeting. So for Abel, faith meant offering his very best to God. For Enoch, faith meant walking with God every dimension of his life under his control and his constraint. Now we come to Noah. Now, Noah's life is covered from Genesis chapter 6 and Genesis chapter 7. We don't have the time in order to read that. I give that to you for your homework. But as you begin to read that, to read that story, you get this remarkable story of how it was Noah received the warning of an impending flood and responded to it with implicit faith. There are times in the scriptures I have to confess to you that I would have loved to just been standing there and hearing this conversation. Forget what Bill Cosby did a number of years ago. It was a comedy routine that he did, a conversation between God and Noah. Forget that. But you got to kind of wonder when all of a sudden Noah hears the words Noah. Yes. This is God. I want you to build an ark. Uh, what's an ark? It's a boat. It's a very big boat. Okay, why do I need to build an ark? Because a flood's coming. Uh, What's a flood? See, up to that point, it didn't rain. It was almost, the world was almost like in in one of these, uh, I, I don't know what terrariums, I guess you call it, to where 
the, the, the dew and everything was that heavy that it watered everything, kept everything green, and everything was nice, and yet now God said, it's going to rain. Well, what's rain? And there's going to be a flood. Well, what's flood? Um, and oh, by the way, it's going to take you 120 years to build this boat. And all the time you're building it, I want you to preach of coming doom. Did, did you catch it? That story never really came into a fullness until the day a couple of years ago that as you load on a bus in a place in Kentucky and the bus comes around the corner and you are seeing this monstrous end of the recreated ark. And as you finally get up to the visitor center and you look over and you see it, then all of a sudden you become, wow. Was it like that? And then when you get inside and you see these beams that go from the bottom of the ark all the way to the top, one beam, solid all the way. Wow. Then you begin to say, where did the food come from? Oh, by the way, Noah, yeah. As you're building, you're also going to have to be gathering crops. Don't forget that. God provided the animals, as you see in Genesis chapter 6 and 7. But it took Noah and his family to not only build this huge thing, but to make sure there's enough food in there for the animals to have. And as you go from level 1 to level 2, there are walls of this food Recreated, yes, but it gives you the understanding of how immense this was. And we're told, never in Scripture are we told that Noah even doubted God. He did it. He did it. And that would take us to verse 7 of Hebrews 11 where it says, For without faith, it's impossible to please God. But he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith. Oh, we're not done yet with Noah. Because as Noah is preaching, as we are told in the scriptures, he is preaching concerning the coming judgment and, and mark this down if you want to take notes. Go to here for you go to Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 25, and you see exactly the same type of preaching that needs to be done even today. Judgment is coming, but righteousness only comes through faith. That's what Mo, Noah is saying. Almost said Moses. Have you ever everyone trick you? Like how many animals went into Moses' ark? And you go, oh, uh, two by two. No, it wasn't Moses' ark. It was Noah's. Okay. We're talking about Noah here. And for 120 years, he's saying this. Look at people. If you want to be saved from the coming judgment, there's this door you need to go in. And it is there that you will be saved. It is there that the coming judgment won't affect you. It is there that you will be kept by God's protection. Come with me into this door. Oh, Noah, you're just shedding hot air. They're down at the local McDonald's. They're sitting, all the old people, and having their coffee. And they say, that Noah, what a crazy coot that guy is. He doesn't even know what he's taught. Rain? 
Jack, ha have you ever seen it rain? No, I never saw it rain. Well, how old are you? Well, I'm pushing 500 right now. Oh, you don't look too good, Jack. It's never rained that I know of. Charlie, how about you? How old are you? Huh. I'm a couple years older than Jack. Have you ever seen? No, it's never rained in my day. And this crazy coop down there hammering, down there filling gaps, down there painting tar on this big boat saying it's going to rain. This is crazy stuff. Well, you can still go into those McDonald's today and you can start talking about Jesus and you're going to get the same reaction. All that Jesus character. What a loser. All that scripture they quote, that was just written by man. What good is that going to do us? We're just going to have to try to do our best, pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, and we're going to be okay as long as my good works outlast my bad works. We'll be fine. Well, came the day when the rain started to fall, but the rain did not start to fall until God, it says in Genesis chapter 7, closed the door. When God closes a door, it doesn't open. Oh, mankind will try to close all kinds of doors. They close the doors of common sense. They close the doors of truth. They close the door of what is right. They open the door to what is wrong. But there's coming a judgment day, dear people, when God is going to close the door on his patience and he will pour out his wrath. So, as Noah is preaching, you have to ask yourself, well, where did he come up with this information? God told him. God told him what to say. Well, now you don't need to be a genius to fast forward, allow your mind to fast forward. And what I'm doing here, here it is. This is what I'm telling you. It is appointed unto man once to die. And after this comes the judgment. Uh, we'll get to that to Hebrews later on. Eternity is a long time. We will either spend it in heaven with Lord Jesus or we're going to spend it in hell without the Lord Jesus. That is the message. Now, what do you do with it? If you wish to remain as an unbeliever, well, then you remain that way. You go ahead and go on along with life and think that you're just okay. But I'm here to tell you, you may think that, but you will never bypass judgment. God has said it very clearly in his word. That the only way, the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ and by faith in him and believe in him alone. So with Abel, it's a faith that you always give your best. Enoch, it was a faith that you walk with God no matter what the circumstances and with Noah, it's a faith that only keeps you from God's judgment. Do you know him today? 
Have you trusted in him? Maybe you're only counting on volume one. But what about volume two? If this morning, if you would have questions concerning this life that is in Jesus Christ, I would love to sit down with you. I would love to discuss with you what God has to say and how you can know you can have eternal life. Don't leave unless you are sure. Let's close. Let's stand together as we close in prayer. Our dear God, Father of all eternity and all glory, through your Son, the Lord Jesus, we come to you and ask that you would take your word and drive it deep to the depths of our soul. We're faced with a decision this morning. Decision that Abel, Enoch, and Noah have prescribed. And the decision is this. Will you walk with Jesus in faith? Will you come to that ark of safety whereby Jesus says, all who enter in will be blessed? Oh, Lord God, work in our hearts this day. And I ask, Lord, for your hand of blessing upon all that are here. May you grant to them a special heap of grace and mercy upon their lives this coming week. And as we face life's situations, may we all trust by faith and the one who can carry us through. And it's the name of Christ we say this. Amen.